The scripture is from Matthew this morning. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Also in Matthew, we read Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, it was several years ago that I was on an airplane coming back from a conference or actually flying to a conference, and a man, 15 or 20 years my senior, is sitting next to me, and I can't remember who started the conversation first exactly, but uh, inevitably, within a few minutes of that conversation starting, he said, so what do you do? Which is always like the true test for me, because I decide, oh, well, you know, it's not like halfway. They're not like, oh, that's nice. Um, it's either like all in or all out. But this guy actually leaned in when I said that I was in ministry. He's like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. And so uh, he asked me questions about my faith. He asked me questions about the Bible. He asked me questions about my beliefs. And 
I shared about those things. And then I asked him about his faith. And he said, well, I'm a bit of a skeptic, but I probably consider myself Jewish. And I'm like, oh, wow. Why would you say that? And he said, well, I talked about this somewhat complicated but somewhat beautiful rituals and rules and celebrations of the Jewish faith. He talked about uh, the joy of stopping his work once a week. He talked about the challenge of getting all the yeast out of their house for Passover. And then he talked about actually the practicality of living out the Ten Commandments. And he said, I, I don't believe everything that's in the Bible is, you know, I don't believe that everything in the Bible is exactly true, but there's so much I find helpful. And I don't know, this was a while ago, so I listened and I thanked him for sharing and then I said, so, yeah, what about Jesus? How does that fit in? Maybe not the smoothest transition, but he smiled and, you know, he goes, well... I think there's just too much evidence for the person known as Jesus Christ um, that he actually lived to argue otherwise. I mean, history, archaeology, and religion all seem to point to that. And then he paused again and said, now I admire what a great teacher Jesus is and, and an excellent moral example, but I don't think he was God. And I just can't believe that he actually rose from the dead. And in that moment, I think I said something like, you know, what about all those places in the Bible where Jesus or his followers actually say that he's God and the places that it talks about um, Jesus rising from the dead? And he said something that I don't necessarily agree with, but I cannot shake after all these years. He said, um, I really only believe something in the Bible if it's, I, I really only believe that something in the Bible is true if I read it or see it in there at least three times. And again, I can't remember exactly what kind of answer I gave him, but if I knew then what I know now, I think I might have asked him if he wants to look up, if he wanted to look up, you know, any of the plenty more than three references of Jesus rising from the dead or plenty of the references that Jesus or others claim him to be God, but I didn't. So I said, huh, that's interesting. And then I thought to myself, like, hmm, I appreciated the conversation, but is that really good news? I mean, we... Many of us in the room read the Bible. We're reading through the Bible for this Messiah um, endeavor. And all over the place, it talks about good news, the good news of Jesus or the gospel, which is good news according to Jesus Christ. And what does it mean when we say good news? Is this directed towards God's plan and goal for, goal for the world? Does God still have a plan and goal for the world? Because sometimes it might be hard to think so. And yet, the more and more I read, not just of the Bible, but in the world, the more I see there are millions of people that still don't know who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. 
Now, some of them are fairly sincere, like the man that I talked to on the plane. Some of them are a bit more skeptical, usually because they've been beat up by life or bullies or religion. And some, unfortunately, still seem to use their religion like a rule book and a scoreboard. Like, I want to know who's in, who's out, who's winning, who's losing, and who's out of bounds. And yet, I think that all of these people are looking for life, and I think that the good news is about life, and that Jesus wants that for us. And I think he might say something about good news to each of these groups of people, so I have to believe that it might actually be good news for us too. So let's look at what Matthew says about this good news and how it can make a difference, not just to these groups of people or to the guy I met on the plane, but to you and me in our actual everyday lives. So one of my friends challenged me a few years ago to define good news. Like, what is it? And took me a while to get there, but I I would say that I think Matthew supports this too, that the good news is a message of rescue and of a rescuer and of a restoration of all things. So let's just go through that. So first, the good news is a message of rescue. Like if you ask people in the world what they think about humanity or what they think about the world, most people say, I think humans are basically good. And what they mean by that is we're not awesome and we're not awful, but we're somewhere in between. We're like good. Except when you see the word good in the Bible, it has nothing to do with that definition. When the Bible uses the word good, it's actually talking about life. The first time it's used is in creation, in the creation story. We'll do a little free seminary for everyone again. That worked last week. So uh, it's in day three when God calls the the earth to bring forth plants that bear seed-bearing fruit, that will bear fruit, that will bear more plants, that will bear fruit. It's this idea of good is connected to life. And life isn't just something that exists, but gives life to other things that bring, those things can bring life forward. It's truly this idea of life that brings life that brings life, almost like eternal life, perpetuating life. And in the garden, humans are like the pinnacle of creation, and God says that they're created in his image to reflect his image. They're very good, and they have life in them, and they bring life through them. So they're created with abilities to create and given responsibilities to cultivate more life. And of course, in the story, humanity doesn't choose goodness or good. We choose evil. See, because remember, in the creation story, it says that, that God put this beautiful garden, the Garden of Delight, together, and there's all these kinds of trees in the garden, and one of the trees is named the Tree of Life, which would be connected to good. And another one of those trees that's named is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I would say, because there were no restrictions on the tree of life, that we got to eat or experience good. All kinds of goodness. The part we didn't know or experience yet was evil. So in Hebrew, the word for good is tov. The word for evil is ra. And raw is this 
word that is actually the opposite of tov. It's if tov is to bring life, that brings life, that brings life, or at least the potential to, then ra would be anything that destroys life. Imagine having a cup. You, you might have a cup with something in it. Is there something in your cup right there? There is. Okay, so that wouldn't work, but I'll, I'll hold it anyway. So this was designed for use. Now, if I took it and smashed it on the ground, I might get coffee in the front row, so I won't do that. But that would be shattering or breaking it, and that would be raw. Raw is anything that is intended to shatter or break what was whole. It splits apart anything that's designed to be connected. That is evil. Ra influenced the son named Cain to kill his brother named Abel. Ra persuaded Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. And Ra infiltrates all of the Old Testament, especially the story of Genesis and the family of Genesis. And I would say that we can still see Ra today. Ra fueled the 9-11 attacks. Ra influenced this guy named Stephen Paddock to sit up in a 30-second story window waiting for a country music festival in Las Vegas to start so that he could take life. Last year, Ra walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida and killed 17 students and adults. Ra is the cause of war and deception and enslavement. And above all, it shatters and breaks what is created to be whole. Jesus taps into this word in his, uh, Matthew taps into it when he tells the story of Jesus um, and Jesus speaking on the mount. Krista read part of that and he continues that when he says that you've heard it said in the law. One more time, there we go. You've heard it said to people long ago, you shall not commit murder, and anyone who commits murder will be subject to judgment. Jesus says, then, I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will actually be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, will be answerable to the courts. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Raka is this word that's connected to the Hebrew that means rakia. It's to pound or beat something out. It's connected to that word ra, that means to break or to shatter. And Jesus is saying, you know, you can look at the end result action of murder, but I actually want you to look at the first result that goes off in your heart when you want to call someone idiot or you want to beat them down with your fists or with your words. If that's not more so, he goes on to say that throughout the story, people are in need of rescue. 
religion will not save you. He tells a story about some Pharisees and they come to Jesus because their Jesus' disciples haven't washed their hands correctly according to the tradition. And so he comes to them and he says, uh, Matthew, I think, 15, he says, Jesus, why don't your disciples do this? And Jesus says to them, why do you break God's law by having people follow your traditions? Because in God's law, it says, honor your father and mother. And it says, anyone who curses your father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, anyone, anything that you put aside as devoted to God, as given over to God, we don't need to use that to help our parents. See, some of these firstborn children had the responsibility. They were given a double inheritance so they would take care of their parents because there were not like... I don't mean to be offensive, but there were not old folks home that we would just send our parents, our grandparents to. So you had to take care of them. And so some of these firstborn children, they didn't want to share that wealth because, you know, we're human. And they wanted to try and hold that. Well, they heard that if they could dedicate that to God, then it would not be, they wouldn't be responsible for it. It was like it didn't have to be taxed by the religious rules. And so Jesus is saying, you nullify God's word or God's command for the sake of your traditions. And his disciples are like, Jesus, you offended the religious leaders when you said that. And I have to believe that Jesus was just like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> But then he turns to them, and actually the whole crowd, and he says, you know what? You don't have to worry about how you wash your hands or even what goes into your mouth. Instead, you should be more worried about what comes out of your mouth than what goes in, because out of your mouth comes, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, lying, theft, slander. Think about each of those things that are listed. Lying murder, slander, all of those things are connected to Ra. They're all intended to break, shatter, or destroy. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. I think he's condemning the religious leaders less about their religious rules and more because they have raw in their hearts. And they didn't want to face that. See, the story of rescue means that we are broken, that the world is broken, that humanity is broken, and before we start pointing fingers, we need to say, I need to say, I am broken. Which doesn't actually sound like good news. Can we just admit that? but there's something incredibly validating when you tell it like it is. I was watching the news, there was a story, um, a horrible story of the Minneapolis Children's Theater and the years of abuse the kids faced. And I watched these 30, maybe even 40 something people stand up and say, we just want our story told because there's something incredibly good about telling the truth, even about bad things. 
I think that's where the good news starts. That's why I would say that, that first, the good news is a message of rescue. It's good news that we don't have to earn it, that we can't work for it or follow the rules perfectly enough for it, that Jesus actually fulfills every requirement. So that was a little heavy, so our staff made a little video to try and explain what it's like for Jesus to fulfill the rules. So take a look. Are you tired of having to sacrifice your favorite lamb every single year? Do you miss that sweet, sweet bacon? Do scissors give you PTSD? Try the new covenant. Dietary restrictions? Fulfilled. Unspeakable rituals involving sharp implements? Fulfilled. Fulfilled! All 332 of those Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah? Fulfilled. Fulfilled! And you get to keep your lamb. Try the new covenant today! Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you do or drink with regard to a religious festival, and union celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Offer valid until Jesus returns. No restrictions apply. Come on, that was pretty good, right? Thanks, Matthew and Daniel. You catch the end of that? No restrictions apply. <laughs> Offer valid until Jesus returns. <laughs> and truly, I think we can chuckle about that if Jesus is actually the one who's qualified to rescue us. It's, it's kind of like, I was thinking about this, it's kind of like if you don't study for a test and someone offers to do your test for you, there's part of you that's like, yes, right? If, if they're smarter than you, if they studied, it, you, I don't want you to just do my test if you're going to fail it, because I can fail it because I didn't study. I want you to ace the test for me. It's only a good news of rescue if the rescuer is qualified. So the good news is, is a message of rescue, but it's also a message of a rescuer. And Matthew, we saw it a little bit in that intro video, he tells us and shows us that Jesus is the qualified rescuer because he fills God's promises and God's plan. He does it from the very beginning of his story. In Matthew chapter 1, 1, he says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, a descendant, the Messiah, the rescuer, a descendant of David, and a descendant of Abraham. Okay, so he's connecting Jesus to David. As a descendant of David, Jesus is part of God's promises to rescue the world. That was God's ultimate promise that would come through David. He said, one day you, one of your descendants, will rescue my people, will lead my people, will bring them into the place that I have promised. And then because he's a descendant of Abraham, Matthew connects Jesus to God's plan. God's plan that was ultimately given through Abraham at the very beginning, Genesis 12, that I will choose you and I will bless you, not because of what you've done, but because you are called to me. And through your family, you will bless the whole world, everyone in it. He emphasizes this in the story of Jesus' birth. 
in Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21, where uh, Joseph finds out that his fiancée Mary is pregnant. An angel comes to him and says, don't divorce her. It's okay. This has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth, and you are to name this son Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. That's part of God's promise, and he goes forward. He emphasizes it at the start of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 4, 23, when Jesus travels throughout all of these regions of Galilee, teaching, announcing the good news of God's kingdom, and then validating that by healing all kinds of people. So Galilee is a Jewish place, but it's sort of like the JV, or the second string, because Jerusalem is like the place to be. Galilee is just like, well, you're from Galilee. It's kind of like being from Minneapolis, and then someone says, I'm from St. Paul, and they're like, oh. <laughs> or if you live in St. Paul, and they say you're from Minneapolis, and they're like, oh. <laughs> Jesus goes throughout all of these places where there are Jewish people that are considered less than. And he tells the word of God there. He heals people that would have been considered outcasts. And he brings them back into the fold. Because again, part of God's plan is to not just rescue God's people, the Jews, to rescue all people, to bless the whole world. That's what he's doing throughout his ministry. When, he, when Matthew includes this story at the middle of his story from Matthew 16, where Jesus is like, you know what? who do the crowd say I am? And they start saying, well, maybe you're the messenger. Maybe you're Elijah. Come back. And he says, wait, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who always talks first, says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Again, all of these things are to connect Jesus to the qualified rescuer, at the end of his story, when he participates in this meal that we call communion, that's the Passover, he says, I'm the new Passover. It's my body and my blood, not the lamb that will save you now. It's me who will save you from all of your sin. And then when he is resurrected, it's like the final validation of his qualification as rescuer. But there's one more part to this good news. It is a message of rescue. It's a message of a rescuer, but it's also a message of this restoration, this restoration of all things. Jesus calls this restoration the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Matthew uses it more than any other writer in all of the New Testament. And he introduces this kind of mysteriously at Jesus' birth. Right after the angel talks to, Jesus, talks to Joseph about naming Jesus because he will save the people from their sins, he adds this in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. This kingdom, this restoration has to do with God being with us. He says it again at the start of his ministry when Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3. The heavens split open, the spirit of God descends like a dove and remains on Jesus, and then there's this voice from heaven that speaks to the situation saying, this 
is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and whom I love. And again, in this mystery, the Father is present, the Son is present, the Spirit is present, and God is there. He includes it in the middle of his story. When Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus validates that and says, blessed are you, Peter, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Somehow, Peter just didn't make up this knowledge. He didn't pull it out of somewhere. It was revealed by God. Peter had access to the wisdom and authority and power of God in that moment. God is there. And he says, now, you, Peter, are this rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not overcome it. Here we go. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Okay, Peter is this fisherman who always puts his foot in his mouth, who gets it wrong so often. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach you and your brother and these two other James guys, these James and John, these, we're going to start with fishermen who are simple and who cuss a lot and who, like, who never get picked to go with rabbis. And I'm going to give them the wisdom, the power, the authority of God. Because I'm Emmanuel, God with us. And they are going to participate in the work. I mean, why else would he say, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people? That just seems like a super weird phrase. Doesn't it seem like if Jesus is actually God, he should be able to go, the kingdom of heaven has come. And then it just starts. Like, humans are going to mess it up. And yet over and over and over in Matthew's story, and I would say in the Bible, Jesus gives these stories of the kingdom of heaven that are about now, not just the future. It's like not somewhere to go when we die. Certainly eternity, we will be with God when we die if we know Christ, but there is something about the kingdom of heaven that is here right now that we get to be invited into, even if we're fishermen, even if we're not from the right places, even if we don't do the right jobs. I mean, Matthew, the guy who wrote Matthew, is a tax collector who's hated. But Jesus sees him, sees, I have to believe, sees his heart, says, come follow me, and he does. And what does he do? He invites his friends. And the only friends he has are tax collectors because everyone hates him because he's a tax collector. <laughs> and Jesus goes to the party. And they get, the religious people get offended. And Jesus says, why wouldn't I hang out with people who are sick? Because they're the one who need a doctor. I've come to heal people. Not to just perpetuate religious rules that don't really help us see that we are the ones that are broken, that we need rescue, and that the good news is that God offers it and then invites us in. That's what the restoration of all things is talking about. That this kingdom of heaven is this human action and divine power. 
human action and divine power that you and I can step into every day, regardless of what we do, regardless of where we live. And if we're not sure, Jesus, I mean, Matthew says it right at the end of his book, at the end of all of it, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's like, okay, just in case you don't know. Like, I fulfilled God's promise and God's plan. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples. It's just like, help people be students of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, what kinds of people? Actually, people from all over the place. Make disciples in every nation, every people group. And teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Baptize them. I already said that part, right? Yep, baptize them. Teach them and be sure of this. I am always with you. I've fulfilled it all. I have all the authority. And Emmanuel. I'm Emmanuel. God is with you. Every day. You teach, God is with you. You have the authority and the power and the wisdom of God in those moments to help people see Jesus. You work at a bank or credit union, you have the authority, the wisdom, and the power of God with you in that. It's not just money. Money is just a tool. It helps people see what can happen beyond that moment where they depend on things, who they trust in. I mean, we do this every month when we bring food for Food on the First and hungry families that are connected to Westfield Elementary get to eat. When we give money to this church and we send it to the 30 kids at the Sheridan Story that get sponsored from Westview. When we uh, our students did it yesterday when they went and rallied around raking and helped people um, do something that is potentially very, very difficult for them. If they have any physical disabilities. This is what it means to join with the restoration of all things. If Jesus is the promised Messiah, if he's our rescuer and the one who saves us, then we have to confess him as Savior. Ultimately, that's what he asks each of us. And if he is the one who fulfills God's plans, if he is Emmanuel, then we are invited, maybe urged or required to submit to him as the Savior and Lord. The one who gives us the wisdom, the power, and the authority. So what does that look like? In our world today, on Tuesday, when you go off to school or when you go to work or when you're at home watching little people, well, again, as I was praying about it, I remembered last year when we went through this series called Bless. And it's in a bookmark on your, in your worship folder. There's some at the door if you didn't get them. But this is just everyday practices for you and I because Jesus is with us to live out the kingdom of God on earth today. 
You have God's wisdom and authority. You begin with prayer, admitting that, understanding and asking for him to be your Savior and Lord in that moment of each day, seeing what he wants you to see, hearing what he wants you to hear, and living by the power of the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit activate through you and in you. And so you begin with prayer, but then you listen with care. You listen to the people that God puts in front of you, where their heartache is and their hurt and what they're really asking for and asking for beyond themselves. And it doesn't have to be a ton of extra work because as blessed would say, you got to eat. I mean, unless you're fasting, you got to eat. So find someone that you know in your life that God might be calling you to and ask him to have a meal with you. Don't want to cook at your house? Go out. I mean, let's face it. Little Caesars is only $5 for a whole pizza. I mean, you can do it. And then the last two are serving in love. People want to contribute, especially at this time in our, in our season, like Thanksgiving, which totally gets overlooked, but don't get me started, and Christmas, which I guess started in September this year. Uh, people want to be generous. Invite them to serve in love with you. And then when they ask why you do it, let them know. Because it's an easy way to share with others the fact that God loves the world. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. But then when they do ask you about your story, share it. This is who God is in my life. This is what God's done in my life. This is what, not just Matthew, but Jesus invites people to, all kinds of people, regardless of where you've been and what you've done and how much or how little you know. So as the band comes up um, and we close, I just would invite you to ask the Holy Spirit how this good news might work out in your life. Jesus, when I think about how your story is told through this person called Matthew, there are so many things that come to mind, and yet, uh, I think your word for at least me today, but maybe for us today, is keep it simple. There is still good news. There's good news of rescue because we need it. Our world needs it, God in every area, in every home, in every heart. We need that rescue. Jesus, you fulfilled it. You are that rescuer. You are qualified. You're enough. You've done everything that we need for life, for faith, for hope. God, and the good news is that you are still at work renewing all things, people, and the planet. And when you return, I believe you will somehow restore it all. And I thank you that you invite the nobodies and the ordinaries into your work. Not to hunt people down but to just invite them in the same way 
But I see you over and over and over, Jesus, inviting others in. Give us a heart to respond. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And then, God, your Holy Spirit to move in ways that maybe some of us have never experienced before in our lives, but desperately want to. God, I pray for those that feel like they're on the outside of this invitation. Pray that they would see you, Jesus, walking out as Savior and Lord to them, stretching out your hand to them, saying, come, follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life that gives hope, not just for Eternity, God, gives even hope for now, for where that person needs the most help right now. In Jesus' name, amen.